Father, we would ask you to teach us now. Uh, we come into this time where we reflect on your word and we believe that your Holy Spirit uh, is involved in this process. It's a supernatural thing for us to understand your what you have written in your word and then to be able to apply it. So God, would you do that in us and uh, for us now? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we've been looking at Jesus' teaching on how to relate to other people here in the Sermon on the Mount. And so far, Jesus has said things like, do not judge, uh, remove the plank from your eye uh, before you go doing business about the speck that's in somebody else's eye. Uh, last week, we looked at his teaching on pearl pushing, and uh, we saw that Jesus was saying, do not force or push your advice on other people, that is, people who aren't asking, people who aren't interested, people who aren't open, people who can't really, therefore, make good use of the pearls that you have. And in fact, we talked about learning to be patient and letting God work in a person's life, as opposed to feeling like you have to do the work of God. And of course, all relationships require work. They require effort, whether that's a marriage, a parenting, friendship, a teammate at school, a work associate. Uh, when I don't give the relationships in my life the attention they need uh, or the attention they deserve, they suffer. Uh, problems arise in those relationships. And what that causes in my life is I start feeling bad. I can become frustrated. I can be discouraged. And the fact of the matter is Jesus wants our relationships with each other, uh, our relationships in our family, at work, etc. He wants those relationships to be healthy. Uh, he wants us to represent him there. He wants our relationships to be a blessing. And this week he kind of pivots the focus of his teaching from those other relationships with other people to our relationship more specifically with God the Father. And in fact, by, you can extrapolate with him, with Jesus. And of course, one of the primary ways that we interact with God is through prayer, because prayer is conversation. A prayer is a many-faceted kind of thing. Prayers can be formal. We kind of did a sort of formal prayer, prayer a moment ago when we were confessing our sin. That was a formal prayer, and I, I hope when we do that, you take advantage of the opportunity to engage. That's not religious activity. That's not where you check out, because somebody up here is saying something, like some of you are checked out right now. Um, but that's actually where you tune in and you participate by engaging and by thinking. Prayers can be scheduled prayers. Uh, I kind of have an informal scheduled prayer time every morning. It's a time when I read scripture and I pray and I think, and that just helps me. It's essential in my life. Prayers can be written if you write out your prayers in a journal. Uh, prayers can be spontaneous. A lot of times I find myself biking and enjoying the out of doors. And when I'm doing that, I sometimes just marvel at the beauty of what I'm looking at, of where I'm getting to ride my bike. And I just offer up prayers. Uh, prayers can be lament. They can be complaint uh, in the midst of difficulties. Prayers can be thankful. Prayers can be mournful. Point is, prayers can be many different things, but they are always communication. And without honest communication, there can be no hope of relationship. Whether we're talking about a relationship with people, I can't have a relationship with you unless we communicate, or a relationship with God. I can't have a relationship with God unless I communicate. Interestingly, according to some polls, more people will pray on a given day than will exercise, drive a car, or go to work. It's kind of interesting. Nine out of 10 people say they pray regularly. That statistic actually really surprised me. Nine out of 10 people in a survey taken said they pray regularly. 
Now, that wasn't a survey taken in a church either, but three out of four people claim that they pray every single day. Three out of four. I don't know how they define prayer there, but that's what they said. If you Google the word prayer or the word pray, you'll get over 100 million links in just under a second. If you ask the average person about prayer, they will say it's important that they pray, but it's not very satisfying. That's interesting to me. Or they rarely, uh, they say they rarely sense the presence of God when they pray. And that's kind of ironic. As important as people say prayer is, they also say they experience prayer as more of a burden than a delight. Maybe uh, you're someone who struggles with prayer. Well, if that's you, I, I hope you understand you're not alone. You're not alone. Uh, here's a prayer of somebody who's really struggling. This is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, and you'll see what I mean. So here's their prayer. Dear God, help me to relax about insignificant details beginning tomorrow at 7.41 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And help me to consider people's feelings, even though most people are just hypersensitive. Lord, help me to take responsibility for my, the consequences of my actions, even though, you know, usually I'm not at fault. And God, help me to be more laid back and chill and help me do it in the best way, just the right way, exactly the way it needs to be done. Yeah. Give me patience, Lord. I really... I need patience immediately and help me be open to other people's ideas, even though most of their ideas uh, are so-so. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen, right? <laughs> Any of that sound familiar? Probably you haven't said those things in a prayer. Might have thought them. You ever find yourself praying uh, one thing, but in the background thinking something else? I think God must be very, I'll use the word entertained at times by all of our prayers, kind of like a parent watching or listening to a little child who's asking for dumb things or saying dumb things or making dumb requests, right? Without any understanding of the bigger picture of circumstances around them. And yet here's the thing, even though that might cause God sometimes sorrow, <laughs> sometimes chagrin, uh, I would assume that sometimes he listens to our prayers and kind of smiles and uh, perhaps even laughs. And, and yet that being the case, he welcomes our prayers. He even commands our prayers and he delights in our prayers. Prayer is one of the primary ways that we connect with God. And yet I personally sometimes find it frustrating and hard to do at times. Maybe some of you do as well. Uh, just take one look at the world's news and it's easy to doubt about prayer, whether prayer makes any difference at all, especially when it comes to things like nuclear threats or global warming or mass violence or school shootings or threats of terrorism. Even if our prayers are being answered, it's difficult sometimes to prove that they're being answered with any certainty. Uh, some of you have read C.S. Lewis's little uh, novel, Screwtape Letters. It's about a senior demon, you know, this spiritually evil creature instructing a lesser demon and how to go about convincing Christians who pray that their prayers don't matter. In that book, he writes this. This is the senior demon talking to a younger demon says, but you can worry him, the person who's praying, with the haunting suspicion that the practice is absurd you can have no objective result. Don't forget to use the heads I win, tails you lose argument. If the thing he prays for doesn't happen, then that's just one more proof that petitionary prayers don't work. 
If it does happen, he will, of course, be able to see some of the physical causes which led up to it, and therefore it would have happened anyway. And thus, a granted prayer becomes just as good a proof as a denied one that prayers are ineffective. <laughs> so if God answers a prayer, no, or if God answers a prayer, not yet, or if God answers a prayer, you know, later, maybe, that, that feels like the answer no or no answer at all. And if God answers a prayer with yes, here you go, then we tend to think it might just have happened anyway without prayer. Just natural causes, just a person's hard work, just medical expertise, of course, depending on the prayer. And then there are advances in modern science and technology which tends to challenge us in this front, uh, complicating all of this and contribute to our lack of confidence around prayer. Um, tomorrow morning I'm going in for surgery. I would appreciate your prayers. Uh, I'm getting a chin tuck and a facelift. Um, I'm actually having sinus surgery. And last week I asked for prayer. I'm going to ask for prayer after the service this morning. And, and, uh, and I'm going to go in and hopefully have a successful surgery. But will that be because of the prayer? Or will that be because of the doctor's? Or is there some connection to the two? You know, is prayer needed? Does God actually intervene, hear those prayers, and actually care? care? These, are, these are real questions, serious questions for a lot of people. One of my biggest personal challenges to a fulfilling prayer life is just time. It's feeling busy. Uh, meaningful prayer requires time. Where does it fit into stuff like work and family and exercise and grocery runs and appointments and you name it. There's a famous, uh, famous British preacher named David Martin Lloyd-Jones who sums this up really well. He says, of all the activities in which the Christ follower engages and which are part of the Christian life, there is surely none which causes so much perplexity and raises so many problems as the activity we call prayer. I think he's right. Um, I wonder maybe sometimes if that's why in Luke uh, chapter 11, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Uh, it's interesting to me that in all of the gospels, this is the only recorded request of the, that the disciples ever make. The only time all of them collectively asked Jesus to teach them something. That's interesting to me. I mean, if, if I had been following Jesus around and watching all the stuff that Jesus did, I'm not sure that would be what I would have asked him to teach me. Jesus did some pretty incredible things. He was an amazing teacher and communicator. If I, I can imagine asking him, you know, teach me how to communicate the way you communicate, Jesus, the way you inspire and move and motivate people. Would you teach me that? That would be helpful right now because my sense is this sermon's going down in flames, but anyway. <laughs> Several times Jesus fed thousands and thousands of people with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. That would be a pretty useful skill to learn from Jesus, I think. I mean, think you could address world hunger and famine with, a, with an ability, with a skill like that. Jesus, teach me how to feed the masses. We know that uh, on an occasion, one occasion, Jesus walked on water. Uh, I'm not sure how that would help too many people, maybe lifeguards, but nevertheless, it would be a cool thing to do. And that Jesus, can you teach me how to do that? 
The point is Jesus did all kinds of incredible things, miracles. He calmed storms, turned water into wine, uh, knew there was a coin in a fish or put a coin in a fish one time. You can go look that up. He also healed people. He made the blind to see, the crippled and the lame to walk, even occasionally raised a person from the dead. None of this mamby-pamby, would you cure my cold stuff? Or, you know, I have a pain in my hip. Would you take it from a, you know, a 10 to a 2? None, none of that kind of stuff. Wouldn't it be incredible to ask Jesus to teach you how to, how to do that kind of thing, how to perform miracles, how to heal the hurting and save lives? I mean, you could empty hospitals. In fact, I suppose you could empty graveyards with an ability like that. But that's not what the disciples asked him to teach them. The only recorded request we have from the disciples in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is of the disciples asking Jesus to teach them how to pray. I think maybe there's a reason for this, and the reason might be that the kind of person they observed Jesus to be. He was simply different. You read his life, read the Gospels. He was unflappable no matter what. He was constantly under attack by religious authorities. At times, it was very clear his life was on the line. He was frequently lacking provisions for himself, for his disciples. That didn't frighten him or concern him. He was always facing a world of hurt, the sick, the lame, the hurting, adulterers, prostitutes, lepers, people crowding in, needing, wanting his attention. And all the people's needs always ever present in all of those circumstances, what did Jesus do? Well, he handled all these things with a seemingly calm, peaceful assurance in the heavenly father. And he not only had power to do things, but he always had perspective about what to do. He had an uncanny wisdom, a God-given wisdom in every situation. It would see me develop these things too, I, I would note, uh, over time uh, by being in constant communication with his heavenly father. It's what Luke describes when Jesus was growing up. Luke describes it this way. He says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You see, part of that growing process, we think, I think, was Jesus being in communication with his heavenly father being in prayer. Again, we know that Jesus prayed formal prayers. He would pray formal prayers in the synagogue when he would be in synagogue. He would pray formal prayers if he was worshiping at the temple. He would pray scheduled prayers. He would pray spontaneous prayers. He would pray prayers of praise, prayers of lament, prayers of complaint, prayers of thanks, prayers of mourning. Mark tells us this about Jesus. He says that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, meaning others are asleep, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That was a practice of Jesus. Luke tells us, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, that's the same as a solitary place, and prayed. This was his practice. I think you could make the argument that it was Jesus' prayers that made him the most radically loving person who ever lived, the wisest man who ever spoke the most caring, humble king who ever walked the earth. 
You see, to live that kind of life, to be that kind of person, to die the death that he died, to overcome sin, Jesus knew he needed to pray. Prayer for Jesus was being connected to his heavenly father. It was the same as relating to his heavenly father. One night before, on the night before Jesus was crucified, what do we find him doing? Well, you know the answer to that. It says he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, beyond his disciples, and he knelt down and he prayed. And being in anguish, so his spirit is troubled. He's thinking about what he's about to endure, which is both physically frightening, but I think even more spiritually frightening because he understands that if he dies on the cross in payment for your sin and mine, there's going to be some kind of separation happen between him and the Father, and that separation had never existed before not in eternity past. And so being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. You see, for Jesus, prayer was the vital connecting tissue to the Father. And that's why he prayed and poured out his heart to the Father, even knowing he might not get the answer he wanted. We'll come back to that in a bit. Regardless, he needed connection with the Father. And he found that with him in prayer. Now here in the Sermon on the Mount, in the middle of his teaching, uh, where he's teaching people to stop judging, stop condemning, stop pointing out other people's specks without dealing with your own planks in your eye, stop giving pigs pearls they don't want, right? Jesus tells them to pray and to go to the Father in prayer and not so that it will make life easier. That's not the purpose the main purpose of prayer. Prayer is not something you do in order to get God to do what you want him to do. Prayer is something you do to know him better. Prayer is something you do to have a relationship with the heavenly father. It's something you do to connect with him and in the process, maybe even become a little more like him as we pray, as we learn to trust. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus compares our relationship with God to that of a child's relationship with a parent. And this picture is meant to encourage us to, to want to talk to the Heavenly Father. And this is such a powerful example because everybody understands this. Even if your parents were terrible, you still understand the point that Jesus makes in this text we're going to read. Even if you had terrible parents, you still get what Jesus is driving at. Jesus says in the way that a child asks their parent for something they need, Pray that way, Jesus says. Ask God for what you need and he will give it to you. That's what Jesus says. In fact, these are the words of Jesus. This is Matthew 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I mean, Jesus comes right out and says, ask, seek, knock. What's surprising to me here is in Jesus' statement is how wide open it is. He says, for everyone who asks, 
He doesn't qualify this statement. Who can ask? Well, everyone, everyone who asks. What can they ask for? He doesn't say. It's wide open. If you are in a relationship mess, if you need patience, if you need wisdom, if you need guidance, because that's kind of the context of this passage, if you need help with a condemning, judgmental attitude, a pearl-pushing or a kind of, a, of an attitude, then ask, and it will be given to you, Jesus is saying. And the first thing that comes to my mind when I read those words and I think about this is, well, you know, you probably got to ask for the right things, right? You probably have to have the right heart, perhaps. You probably have to have a, a right relationship with God, uh, correct? I mean, my first inclination is to want to start qualifying these statements that Jesus makes. And, and if you start doing that, you can go down a path where you qualify them to death. You practically do away with them. But Jesus doesn't say any of that. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And then he tells a story about a child who asks for a good thing, a piece of bread or a fish. And uh, Jesus' general observation is that parents want to provide for their children. They want to give them what they need to grow and to develop and to thrive and flourish and usually this is not a burden for a parent it's it's a joy in fact something a parent loves to do for their children you know when your children are really little you feed them you clothe them you play with them you pick up their stuff after you're done playing with them you wake them up you put them to bed you pay for everything they need your relationship is kind of one-sided any parents here notice that slightly one-sided your little boy, your little girl mostly just receives. That's just how this thing works. They don't stop and think much about any of this. Maybe occasionally as one gets a little older and can, can talk, they will say, thank you, mommy. Thank you, daddy. But normally they just assume you exist to meet their needs. That's what mom and dad do. Well, Jesus depicts God. Imagine this, our heavenly father as someone who is eager to give and to meet our needs, even in the most difficult circumstances, relational or otherwise. His job is to be the heavenly father. His job is to provide. Our job is to be children and to ask and to seek and to knock and to receive. That's amazing, really. <laughs> Jesus is describing the day-to-day -day life for many, many, you know, parents of, of young kids, little children. Uh, this is just how these relationships work. Way back when, when our children were little, this is many decades ago, between the four of them, Holly and I were constantly being asked for things. I mean, just incessantly. Can we go outside? Can we ride our bikes? Can we go to the pool? Can we have a popsicle? What are we having for dinner? Actually, they wouldn't ask that. They would just assume they were going to have something they wanted to eat for dinner. And if they didn't, then they would complain. As they got older, you know, they would be, can we go to the mall? Can we borrow some money? Can we uh, get this? Can I have that? Can I spend the night at so-and-so's? And we wanted to be, we tried to be good parents. And generally, we tried to say yes just as much as we could, as much as we thought was good for the children because we loved them. And Jesus is showing us that same picture, a picture of a heavenly father here that is actually quite remarkable because he depicts the heavenly father as someone who loves to give, someone who cares, someone who 
wants to help, someone who loves to answer his children when they ask him, specifically provide them with the things that they need, whether that's relational wisdom or spiritual wisdom or provision, wants to give us eyes to see people the way we should see them, wants to give us hearts that are reflective of his heart so that we care for each other and the people around us the way he cares for us. He wants to give us even the ability to judge ourselves. This is a passage we studied earlier so that we can see the plank that's in our own eye and grow and become more of who we're supposed to be. This is a God most people don't know. Do you understand that? This is a revolutionary concept about who or what God is like. It was not the common notion of what gods were like in that day, Roman gods or Greek gods. If you've ever read any Greek mythology, the the Greek gods, the Roman gods were capricious, they were fickle, they were distant, they were anything but attentive or caring. And here Jesus is talking about a God who is like a good slash perfect heavenly father. This was shocking to people in that day. And if you stop and think about it, it still is shocking. Jesus is saying God is not distant. God does care. God wants involvement in the details of your life and mine. God will answer our prayers. So Jesus says, ask and seek and knock. James, Jesus' brother, makes this observation. And of course, James, Jesus' brother, that's important. You got to ask, where did James learn this? Well, I think he learned it from watching his brother, Jesus, right? And James writes this. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. He might be contrasting himself with his brother, Jesus. You know, wow, Jesus would ask for everything all the time, always talking to his heavenly father. And I didn't, and I didn't receive. I don't know that for sure, but I'm just saying, I find that an interesting observation coming from the brother of Jesus. You do not have because you do not ask. Point being, ask. James says the same thing that his brother Jesus says. Now, if we're going to be honest, we'd have to say sometimes we do ask and it feels like our prayers are not answered. Am I right? And what do we do with that? As a pastor, I've prayed for thousands of people over the decades. I've prayed for sick people and poor people and injured people, depressed people, discouraged people. And I wish I could say in most of those situations, I saw direct, immediate, miraculous answers to prayer. Miracles. But that would not be true if I made a claim like that. And I'll tell you, when things like this stack up over the years, some people just stop believing that anyone up there is paying any attention or that our prayers actually make any difference. And we can start to think that prayer is unnecessary or at the very least unproductive. What's going to happen is just going to happen. So again, what do we do with that? As people who want to follow Jesus, want to pray, but what, what do we do with that tension? Well, here's the deal. We have to remember that God's encounters with us in prayer are not or never are blind encounters. You see, God always knows things that we don't know. He's doing things in us and in our circumstances that we are wholly unaware of. 
uh, we know nothing about, we don't understand. And he knows perfectly and fully what is good for us at any given moment and what is not. God is always up to something. I've said that a hundred times. God is always up to something, something we don't necessarily see. He always, always is. And this is why the prophet Isaiah actually speaks for God. It's God speaking through the prophet Isaiah saying these words, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. I don't look at your circumstances the way you see them. Uh, he says, neither are your ways my ways. I'm up to stuff you can't even imagine is what he's saying. He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's another good way, better way of saying God is always up to something. So back to Jesus' analogy. Common sense tells us that a good parent wouldn't give a stone to their hungry child, right? Or a snake if your child is asking for a fish. But let me ask you this. What does a good parent do when their child puts a stone in their mouth or asks for a snake? Because one day they will. Am I right? One day they will. And I'll tell you, a truly loving and wise parent wouldn't give that to them, that stone or that snake. Not a truly wise parent. And in a reverse sort of way, Jesus' point is that God is much wiser than any normal parent, than you or me or any parent, and therefore knows the difference between what is good for us and what is not, what we need and what we don't. So this heavenly father answers prayers always wisely and always lovingly. And because of this, we have to thank God for answering prayers, both when he gives us what we ask for and when he doesn't. In either case, he is answering our prayers. We had a cat named Zeke. We've had a series of cats. I became a cat person when I got married. You know how that happens? I'd always had dogs, got married, switched to cats. Uh, it's my wife's deal. But anyway, so I've come to love cats, but we had a cat named Zeke. He was an outdoor predator kind of cat. I don't want any emails about this, by the way. Uh, I'm going to just, I'm going to delete them. I'm not going to read them. He loved to go outside at night, right? That was his favorite time. He just loved to hunt. He would get bunnies, he would get squirrels, he would get voles, he would get stuff we couldn't identify, it was too eaten up and chewed on. And uh, as he got older, however, we stopped letting him go outside at night because he was no longer at the top of his game. And he also wasn't at the top of the food chain. Uh, there are mountain lions and bears and bobcats and coyotes where we live. Uh, and so we wanted to protect him. Uh, and, but as the sun would set, Zeke would get very, very foolish and very, very sneaky, a lot like a foolish child will be sometimes. And he would try to get out of the house before we could stop him. And one night he did. He succeeded. And we never saw him again. I'm assuming something ate him, almost certain of it. Zeke's prayer was, let me out. And our answer was no. No, that's not good for you. Because you see, we knew what was best for him and we loved him and we didn't want him to be eaten. Friends, sometimes God just doesn't want you to be eaten. Or sometimes he wants you to grow while being eaten. Or through difficulty that comes 
along your way that's actually designed to grow you up and create character, Christ-like character in you. Think about what Jesus is saying in our passage this morning. Does a loving, wise parent always do what their child asks them to do? Common sense tells us, of course not. If a parent were to give their child everything they asked for, that parent would be utterly irresponsible. You see, there's a reason known only to God why some prayers are answered emphatically, no, no, not going to give you that. You have no idea what you're asking for. Other prayers get answered, yes, absolutely, you bet. And still others get answered later, not now, maybe later. In his book on prayer, Tim Keller reflects on this. This is a great book, by the way. And he says this, he said, God will either give us what we ask because he's a good father or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. That's the beauty of having a perfect, loving, all-wise heavenly father, not just an ordinary father like us. In fact, the language that Jesus uses to describe uh, parents in this passage, he says, you know, you who are evil. <laughs> what he means by that is it's not that you're the worst you can be, but it's, if you want to know the truth about my parenting, my parenting was self-centered because I have this problem of self-centeredness and brokenness, sinfulness in me. Short-tempered sometimes, often unwise in my parenting. Often exhausted. Parents do the dumbest things when they're exhausted, right? But often when your children are little or old, doesn't matter, you're exhausted, just exhausted from processing. And so you lack patience and therefore too, you lack judgment and you lack wisdom. But even we, those of us who are evil, know how to give good gifts to our children. Well, how about our heavenly father? Even more so, you see, that's Jesus' point. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Let the weight of those words sink in. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, part of the reason why Jesus tells us to pray is prayer is about growing in our relationship, our connectedness with our heavenly father. Prayer is about talking to God and getting to know God and building faith and trust in our heavenly father. Imagine what kind of relationship you would have with someone if you never talked to them. How would you know them? How would you understand them? How would they understand you? Conversation is one of maybe the primary vehicle that we have to help us relate to and build relationship with other people, friendship. You see, these conversations that I have with my wife, Holly, some formal, some scheduled, some spontaneous, some full of praise, some full of lament and complaint, some full of thanks, some full of mourning, right? Those conversations build our relationships, our relationship. It's what we do more than anything else as a husband and wife. And it's through talking and through listening and through asking questions that we build trust, we build love, we build relationship. In exactly the same way, you see, a part of prayer is just building relational trust with God, our Heavenly Father. So I'm going to ask you a question. What kind of relationship are you building? Are you building 
a relationship at all? Do you practice formal prayers? And we give you opportunity when you come here to gather with others and worship. When we pray collectively, do you hone in and, and try to focus and use those prayers or do you just tune out? Do you practice formal prayers? Do you practice scheduled prayers? Do you have a time in your daily or weekly routine where you're just going to pray? You're going to do the hard work, and it is hard work, of praying. Do you practice that? Do you practice spontaneous prayer? Driving along in a car, I need to pray for them. I need to pray for this person. I need to pray about this thing that's troubling. Do you practice spontaneous prayers? Do you practice prayers of praise? Prayers of lament. Lord, this is bothering me. Lord, I'm having a difficult issue with this person. Do you practice prayers of complaint? Do you practice prayers of thanksgiving? Do you practice prayers of mourning the brokenness around you and inside you? You see, it's true. God does not need our wisdom. He doesn't, he doesn't need our knowledge. He doesn't need information that's contained in our prayers. But by inviting us into prayer, God invites us into deeper relationship with him. And that's a big, big part of what prayer is about. There's a give and take between him and us. It's a little like in our human relationships. You see, God wants communication. God wants cooperation. Just like he loves to use us to accomplish his purposes, which is amazing. That's another sermon in itself, how God uses us to advance his kingdom. You understand, he could do it better by himself, a whole lot better. But he delights in working through you. And working through me. That's just amazing. As we blunder along, he uses us. He grows us. He chooses to work with us and through us and in us all at the same time. And so also, you see, God ordained, please hear me on this. God ordained certain things to happen, many of which happen because of or through our prayers. Think how incredible that is. So... You mean I got this job because I prayed and asked God for it? Yeah. God ordained that your prayers would be a part of how you get that job. You mean my child's surgery went well because I asked and I prayed for this? Yeah, that's what I mean. You mean my marriage is getting better. My child is making it through school. My job is improving. I made the school team because I prayed? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. So ask. Seek, knock. Well, would any of these things have happened if I hadn't prayed? I have no idea. I don't. I have no idea. Maybe. God is so gracious. He's giving people stuff all the time they don't deserve, all the time good things they don't ask for. So I don't know. Maybe he would have gotten the job anyway. I don't know. But if you got the job and you prayed, I can tell you this emphatically, God ordained in eternity past that one of the reasons you would get that job is because you prayed. Anybody here confused? <laughs> I admit that's a little confusing, but it's good theology. It's what the Bible teaches. I do know this. If you hadn't prayed, you would not be learning to trust in your heavenly father. You would not be inviting him to lead and to guide and to work in you and through your circumstances. And friends, that is what being a disciple, a follower of Jesus is all about. 
Jesus asks us to pray because he wants relationship with us. That's, it's, it's always been this way. Old Testament, New Testament, old times, present times, always been this way. The psalmist one time wrote these words and said, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give away. I mean, picture these cataclysmic events. He says, even though these extreme things happen, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, God is our refuge, he says. God is our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. He's saying God is good no matter what happens. He's not good just because he does good things in our life or gives us good things or gives us stuff we want. No, but because no matter what confusing, cataclysmic stuff is unfolding in our lives, God draws close to us. God hears our prayer. God answers. God works through the storm. God gets us through the storm. God redeems the storm and uses these storms for purposes, quite honestly, often we don't even understand. And this is why we can say always with incredible confidence, just like the psalmist, always with confidence, God is good, so good, incredibly good. God is good to parents of obedient, wonderful children. God is good to normal parents with children who have rebelled. God is good to the couple who can't conceive and have children. Just like God is good to families who have as many biological children as they want. God is good to the single person. Just like he is good to the people he puts together and makes a husband and wife. God is just as good to the person who lost their job as he is good to the person that receives a promotion. God's goodness is not dependent on any particular outcome, on us getting what we want. You see, God is our ever-present, attentive, caring helper in trouble, whether we know it or not, whether we even appreciate it or not. And the thing is, friends, Jesus knew it. <laughs> Jesus always knew this to be true. He was always crystal clear that God the Father was his ever-present help in trouble. In the last hours of Jesus' life, many of you know, Jesus prays this prayer to the Father. He says, my Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. He's talking about death on the cross, judgment on the cross. And yet not as I will, but as you will. He, he'd like to not have to endure the cross. Anybody here relate to that? Of course, of course, I get it. I see what he's facing there. He'd like to not have to drink the cup of wrath, the cup of punishment that I deserve to drink and you deserve to drink, but not him. But even in that desperate situation, Jesus prays about it and then he fully entrusts himself to the Father. That's what he does. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Because Jesus knew the Father's will is always the best. The Father's will is good. The Father's will, in fact, overcomes evil and redeems suffering. 
and ultimately makes things as they should be. That's the Father's will. And Jesus knew this. You see, God, God is good. God can be trusted. I will trust him. And so Jesus asked and Jesus sought and Jesus knocked. And in the end, what he said was, yet not as I will, but as you will. So here's my question. What would God do in your life if you practice asking and seeking and knocking And then just trust him and say, yet not as I will, but as you will. I got to tell you, I I think he would do great and mighty things. Things for his glory. So what's your plan going to be? Do you have one? Do you plan to practice? Because prayer takes practice. It really does. Read a book. Read Tim Keller's book on prayer. I think it's called Prayer. Start praying a little bit every day. Start engaging him in conversation. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you will become amazed at what God can do in your life when you ask and when you seek and when you knock. Amen. I want to pray a formal prayer for us. This is a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for a church in Ephesus. And uh, it's just so appropriate after reflecting on the things we've reflected about and and uh, it's just a, a very appropriate prayer to, to pray over us these words that Paul prayed over the church at Ephesus. So um, you don't need to stand up uh, because some of you would lose sleep if I asked you to do that. But the, if you would perhaps open your hands uh, as a way to receive what's being prayed over you, it might be a good posture if you're comfortable doing that. And let me pray. Paul's words, for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth drives its name. He's the maker of us all. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.